take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Normally, preachers try to open up a message with an illustration that ties into what he's going to be preaching on, explains it to you, gives you something to remember, to latch on to. I got nothing for you this morning. Because this... The hardest sermon I've ever prepared. I have no illustration because I, I, I don't even know the moment exactly how the message is going to end. Uh, but I need your prayers. The Holy Spirit will give me the words that I'm supposed to say. I think he has. I just want to be sure as I move forward. This isn't a hard, I mean, this isn't an easy verse, John eight forty seven. And as I began to prepare the message, and as you know, normally I've tried to make the message match the five lessons that we do during the week. It didn't work this week. The, uh, the verse itself was too short. Uh, it, it had pretty much one message in the verse, uh, so it, it didn't work out. The, the, the week's lessons was all about, uh, were all about, God speaking and hearing him and, and how he speaks. He speaks through his word. Uh, we looked at, uh, he speaks through prayer. And uh, we'll look at some other ways he speaks next week. But the verse itself was hard enough. But I needed to preach the context of the verse. That's what I realized this past week. It, I needed to go into the, the whole thing. The context is no easier. As a matter of fact, the context is probably even more difficult. It's, I guarantee you, it's one of those passages. There are a few verses we like to pull out of this context. Uh, like, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We like that verse. The context, though, I don't believe gets preached as often as it should. We're going to start in verse 30 and work our way into verse 47. John chapter 8, verse 30. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, pew Bibles are in front of you. Uh, they'll match exactly what's on the screen as we go through it. As he was saying these things, he, he being Jesus, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. We like that verse too. I know you were descendants of Abraham, but you were trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you have heard from your father. Our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. 
Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. We weren't born of sexual immorality, they said. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, because I came from God and I am here. For I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell, you the, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Who among you can convict me of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you are not from God. And this section actually begins in verse 12 and really doesn't end until the end of the chapter down in verse 59. And we're going to pull in some verses past what we just read and some verses before what we just read. But as you read that passage with me, I think you can understand why, hopefully you can understand why this would be a difficult message to preach. But I didn't choose this message. This is one of those times in seminary we're told, especially now, preach through a book of the Bible. And that, that's just the way we're encouraged to preach because you're not going to skip verses when you do that. Preachers like to skip verses too. Preachers like to skip the hard spots, preach the easy spots. When you preach through a book, you, uh, you don't get that option. Well, when you're preaching the memory verses for a study that was written in 1990, uh, you don't get the option on what verses you preach either. And this was the one for today. And while I've often been nervous about a sermon, I have never dreaded it before this morning. And I dreaded this sermon. But this is where God has us. This passage is addressed to those who claim to believe in verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews, who had believed him? There is actual belief here. Uh, it's clear, though, by their actions uh, by, and by Jesus' words throughout this passage that they are not true believers. They have uh, mentally assented to what he has said they, they've latched on with their heads, but their hearts have not grasped him. And we see that as we move through it. Here's the beauty of this passage. They still have the opportunity to become believers. They still, in this passage, have the, the choice to make. They're about... Oh, four or five invitations, and we'll talk about those a little bit as we get toward the end, for them to respond appropriately, to believe appropriately. But at this point, at this moment, they call themselves believers, but they're not. And their actions and their words prove that they are not. 
And we, we see in this passage the proof of their belief, the proof of their salvation, and, and not just in this passage, but throughout Scripture, and I'll point out a, a few verses for you. In verse 31, we see that continuing in him and obedience is their proof of salvation. Verse 31 said, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. There's an invitation. Verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you really will be free indeed. Amen. If there is true belief, if there is a heart recognition and not just a mental recognition, there is true salvation. And then verses 41 through 48, and I won't read all of them, but they make it clear that our actions prove our salvation. The book of James proves that our action, or says that our actions prove our salvation. You've heard me before, and I talked about this a little bit Wednesday night. Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, where Jesus tells this parable. It says, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen Listen, and, and the disciples didn't get it, so they asked him, and he explained, to it, explained it to them in verse 18 of chapter 13. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. We see in that passage, that parable, you can hear the word and respond to the word, respond positively to the word and not be saved. There is a small group that hears it, and it grows in them, and they produce fruit. And Matthew, Jesus continues in Matthew verse, uh, chapter 24, 13. He says, but the one, the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one whose salvation, the one who for whom that seed takes root. The devil doesn't snatch it away as soon as it hits the ground. The sun doesn't wither it, and the cares of the world don't choke it out. That's the one who will be saved. There's an endurance that is required. There is a proof of endurance for our salvation. These believers, these, those that who, who had believed in him, and there's no way to massage that word and make it mean something else besides what the parable in Matthew 13 says. They believed, but they did not believe unto salvation. 
even in their belief, after hearing the message of Jesus, in their belief, in quotes, they trusted in something else. Verses 33, 39, the first part, and 41, the second part, show us what they believed, truly believed in. Verse 33 says, We are descendants of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. Well, that's not true. They were enslaved to a number of different com- countries, Egypt, Persia, or excuse me, Egypt, Babylon, Persia, uh, Rome. Um, they have been a vassal state numerous times. Yet they're, they're, they're really talking spiritually. They're, they're saying, we've never been enslaved to anyone. We're descendants of Abraham in verse 33. They're proud of that. Verse 39, the first part, they say, our father is Abraham, they replied. They're continuing on that uh, path uh, of uh, of discounting what Jesus says to them. And then the second half of verse 41, we weren't born of sexual immorality. They said, we have one father, God. Abraham wasn't convincing Jesus, so they told him, God is our father. They're changing their story a little bit to give themselves a little more uh, comfort. They were counting on a membership, a history, or a lineage to be enough to save them. We like some of your message, Jesus, but we count on this to save us. We'll take the parts we like, we'll discount the rest, and we'll trust in who we think we are. And their faith in Abraham, their faith in their history or their membership or their lineage was misplaced, and that's evidenced by their actions as we look through this passage. Verses 37 and 38, I know you are descendants of Abraham, Jesus says, but you're trying to kill me because my word has no place among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, so then you do what you have heard from your Father. Verses 40 to 41, But now you're trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You're doing what your father does. 43, why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. And then verse 47, our memory verse for this week. The one who is from God listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, because you you are not from God. Their faith was misplaced. It was put in things, it was put in membership, history, lineage, what they already believed. It was placed in their traditions. And Jesus tells them what you regularly practice and who you listen to, their father is what he's saying, and he hasn't given away what that means yet. Who you listen to proves your lostness people who had believed, people who had received the message, believed it, and Jesus says, your actions prove you aren't saved. See, their belief in Jesus was in who they wanted him to be, not in who he was. Verse 32 gives us a glimpse of that. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, obviously, they did not believe 
him. They did not believe in him as the truth. Jesus called himself the truth numerous times, maybe uh, most blatantly in uh, John 14, 6, where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. He tells them, I am the truth. They heard that from him. He went on to say that, uh, continue to say that even more explicitly. Not just that he was the truth, but in verses 58 and 59, he tells them that he's not just the Son of God, but he is God. Jesus said to them in verse 58, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. There was no question about what he meant. Jesus was using the covenant name of God to name himself. And if we wonder if he was being uh, misunderstood or we're interpreting that wrong, verse 59 tells us that those who believed in him did not believe in him as he presented himself because 59 says, so they picked up stones to throw at him. They were going to kill him right there because he's already told them twice they were planning on killing him and they saw their opportunity. Their belief was in who they wanted him to be. You can be our Savior, but you're going to be this kind of Savior. But you're not going to be the kind of Savior that you are. You are not going to be I am. See, they wanted a Savior, and these are religious leaders, a lot of them. They wanted a Savior and a church in their own image, not of his image and leading. They were refusing to believe in that Savior. They would not hear him because, they would, because he would not say what they wanted to hear. Timothy, the letter to Timothy, Paul tells us that in the last days, men will want their ears tickled. They won't, they won't want hard preaching. They won't want to hear the Scripture I will tell you in the last days, preachers don't want to do the hard scripture either. But when the Holy Spirit leads, we have no option. So they don't get the Savior that they want. They don't uh, believe who he is because that's not who they want. They won't hear him because he won't say what they want to hear. And so they would stop at nothing to end his message. There was nothing that they wouldn't do. Verses 37 and 59 give us the murderous, murderous intent. 37, I know your descendants, but you're trying to kill me. Verse 40, but you're trying to kill me. Verse 59, but you are, you pick up, they picked up stones to throw at him. But verse 44a tells us where this all comes from. You are the father of uh, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Understand, no one wants to silence Jesus' message. No one wants to silence the church any more than the devil does. He would be perfectly happy if he could shut them all down. And Jesus is telling these believers that that is their intent that that is their message. 
that that is who they are working for and who they are from. So obviously from these passages, murder was certainly an option, and they finally, at the end of our Gospels, get their way. They work it out. Of course, what they don't know is that murder was the plan all along. Jesus' death was the whole purpose. Without it, we would not have had our salvation, so they were just playing into his hands. But at this time, they didn't know that, and the reader might not quite realize it yet either as he works through John. But murder wasn't the only option. It wasn't the first option. See, the root of the word devil, the devil is your father, the root of that word is accuser or, or slanderer. So their father's name was accuser or slanderer. And accusations and slander was the beginning of their attack. That's how they started. That was, those were their go-to methods. We see it in verse 41. You're doing what your father does, Jesus tells them. And they say, we weren't born of sexual immorality, which is probably a slam on the idea of Jesus's virginal conception. They're telling him, they've, they've heard the story, and they don't believe it. So they're saying, we weren't born from an adulterous relationship like you were. Slander. Accusation. Verse 48, they continue. The Jews responded to him, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? There was no worse accusation, no more slanderous epithet to cast on a Jew than to call him a Samaritan. And they called him that. You have a demon? The Son of God has a demon, according to these people. As well as lying, verse 44 you are of the, your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and his murder actually began with lies. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So slander, accusations, lies... But they had no problem upping their game when that didn't work and resorting to murder, doing everything they can to stop the message, to stop him messing up their synagogues, messing up their faith, messing up their religion. But as I said earlier, this whole passage is an invitation Jesus is preaching grace the entire time. Verses 31 through 32. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, see, there's an opportunity there. They've, they've received the seed of the gospel message, and it has begun to crack open. And he's telling them, If you will receive it, and if you will uh, continue in my word, if you will be discipled, you will be a disciple, an invitation to continue. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How? Because you spend time with Jesus. You continue that relationship that began with that seed that, that cracked open, but has not yet taken root, has not yet produced fruit. 
Verse 36 was an invitation. So if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. The Son wants to set you free, he's telling them. The Son wants to respond to a true heart faith. Verse 39 is an invitation. He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. You claim this faith. Respond to that faith the way Abraham did in looking for the Messiah. The Messiah is here, he will tell them in verse 58. God is here in verse 58. An invitation to respond, verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. That's an invitation to love him. If God were your father, make God your father, not by your history or lineage or membership, but by trusting and being discipled by me. And even in verse 47, our memory verse today, the one who is from God listens to God's words. It is an invitation to those listening to hear what he is saying and listen to him. Not just hear, but listen and respond. It is an invitation. And this morning, the invitation is to two different groups. The first is to the group that's wayward and confused. You've heard the gospel message. You have some mental assent to it. It's just, just not getting to the heart. And very likely, you, you aren't responding in the way that these believers were. But this morning, the message is for you. What you have, a membership on a roll, a, a general idea of who Jesus is, is not enough to save you. Those aren't saving faith. Hear the truth this morning that you've misunderstood. Hear the truth this morning of this scripture. Hear the invitation of Jesus Christ saying, don't Try to add anything to our salvation. Y'all, it is amazing how this message dovetails with our work through Galatians over the last year and a half. It's incredible to me how God has brought this message to this morning. Again, something I never planned. God did. Hear the truth that if you are trying to add something to Jesus... You're not getting Jesus. You don't have your faith in Jesus. You have your faith in the something. Faith in Jesus Christ is only placed in him. So to the wayward and confused, hear the truth that you've misunderstood. But there's another group this message is talking to, particularly the group that we see here, to the deliberately hateful vitriolic and militant to those who seek at all points to undermine God's work, repent, and find true faith. 
This was a group that was doing everything they could to tear down the work of Jesus Christ. All the way up to and including killing them if they killing him if they could. There aren't any more slides. Because this passage is about hearing God when he speaks. This passage is about knowing and doing the will of God. And when God says to do, we do. And when God says don't, we don't. This is a message for our church this morning. This is a message for our church at this point in time, at this juncture. And this is a hard message. When I first came, one of the things that I shared with uh, folks in various venues was a graph that showed 12 years of attendance decline from 2004 to 2015. I guess that's 11 years. Well, if you count 2004, that's 12. A decline of about 250 people on Sunday morning. Our church has decreased by half in 12 years. Twelve years of decline are the result of twelve years of disobedience. Twelve years of disobedience resulted in twelve years of a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. What else could it be? Our church is dying because there are those who claim Christ but do not hear or intentionally disobey his word and actively seek to deter the church from doing what God is commanding. There is no reason for a church to die other than the people of the church ignore God. There's no other reason. Jesus does not kill his churches. God does not shut the door of churches until the people have done it first. Some are seeking to kill his church. Back in chapter 7, verse 19, Jesus told them, Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. So why are you trying to kill me? tells them you have this idea of how things should go and I'm doing it differently you don't even do the way you think it should go right why are you trying to kill him why are you trying to kill his church there is a group that will do anything to protect their power their positions their traditions and even see our church die in order to protect those We make the claim of salvation, but the the determined effort to undermine his church, his leaders, and his commands defies that claim 
of salvation. Now, how is our church being undermined? When a small group is actively pursuing ways to get rid of a pastor, and that began three to four months after he arrived, that group is not pursuing the work of Jesus. Accusation, slander, and lies are their go-to methods, but their goal is to be rid of me. This message isn't about me. I'm an avenue. I'm a way of doing the work. This message is about our church. Because I'm not Jesus. And all the cartels said amen. And I'm certainly not equating myself with him. But to rip apart his church is to rip apart Jesus. The church is the bride of Christ. Ask any husband, and he will tell you. Ask the Bible, and it will tell you that to attack the bride is to attack the groom. I would defend my bride with my life. I have been called to shepherd this church, not by any church member, but by the Lord God himself. And I will fight to protect this church with my life. It's not about my job. It's not about whether I'm here for three weeks or 30 years. It is about the truth of Scripture that I will continue to preach. And it is about the will of God that I will continue to the best of my ability to hear and to lead. I've not heard anything from this group that is seeking to, to get rid of me about how we can expand our ministry, how we can better evangelize, about their own personal testimony of a love relationship with Jesus, about the people they have talked to about Jesus, how, of the people they have invited, how to reach the world with the gospel, but I have heard about how they want their way. The accusations against me have not been about a vision of ministry and evangelism, but they've been about flowers and sermon length and a fellowship time and my personality, a supposed vile temper, an inability to preach, among other things. Doing shady things with money, having the rest of the church snowed, but not them. But not once have I heard them say how they want to reach people with the gospel. And it appears that this group would rather see this church die than to lose their power. I would rather die than see this church die. And again, if you think this is about me, you're wrong. 
This is about God's church. This attack from within on Christ's church must stop. If this small cartel has its way, Jesus is ignored and nothing changes but that they get rid of another pastor and this church will cease to exist in a handful of years. We must listen to God speak. That is the point of this message this morning. We must listen to God speak. And right now, he is clearly saying to us that for too long, false leaders have ignored his will, and we are reaping the results of what has been sown at least since 2004. It's not the end. There is hope. Thank you all, Jim. Yeah, can sit down. I appreciate you. My wife gave me this passage this morning. I mean, it's been in the Bible longer than that, but. Ezekiel 36 and 37. There's hope. This is not the end. And I knew this morning was going to be a watershed moment. I knew today is going to be a day of choice. And I counted the cost. I don't know what happens at lunch today. But I knew from today on, nothing will be the same after preaching this message. But my prayer is that the nothing that is the same goes with what Ezekiel tells us in his prophetic letter I'm going to do excerpts from, ver- from chapter 36 starting in verse I can't see 16 the word of the Lord came to me son of man while the house of Israel lived in their land they defiled it with their conduct and actions verse thir- 22 therefore say to the house of Israel this is what the Lord God says it is not for your sake that I will act, house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you went. I do not preach this message for the glory of Michael Linton. I do not preach this message for the glory of First Baptist Church Sulphur, but I preach this message for the glory of God. Verse 33, this is what the Lord God says. On the day I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited. Hope promise people the cities to be inhabited and the ruins will be rebuilt the desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of everyone who passes by Luke 10 to lift up your eyes to the harvest church the harvest is ripe but the workers are few verse 30 or chapter 37 verse 1 the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley it was full of bones he led me all around them there was a great many of them on the surface of the valley and they were very dry then he said to me son of man can these bones live I replied Lord God only you know and he said to me prophesy As of this morning, I didn't know what I was going to preach. How far I was going to go past what was on the screen. 
But Etta read these verses to me. Verse 4, And he said to me, Prophesy. Preach. So I came this morning to preach. He said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones, and say to them, Dry bones... Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breathe, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied, and he commanded me, as he commanded me, the breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. These bones are the church. Look how they say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. The Lord says to this church this morning, breathe dry bones, grow tendons, grow muscle, grow skin, rise up from your grave, breathe. He will do it, not me, not us, but God will do it in us and we will live again. There's hope. It's not over. Till it's over. And it's not over. God speaks sometimes when we don't want Him to. This morning, there's hope for you if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's hope for you if you have a belief, like I talked about a little earlier, but it's mental. He has never affected your heart in a way that you just understand you've got salvation. I can't know what that is for you. I can't stand up here and say that you as a a believer, and I'll use the air quotes one more time, I can't say that you're not really a believer, but I am saying let that seed grow deep in its rooting. Let that plant grow full in its growing and let the fruit be produced of your salvation because that is your proof. If you look at your life and you never hear God speak, that's the lesson of this week in experiencing God. You look at your life and you never hear him speak. The question is, are you his at all? This morning, that's a decision you have to make. You may be here and you've never trusted Christ and you know it. That's just something you've not done and you don't understand even what that means. I'll talk to you in just a second. 
I also cannot know the hearts of those that are trying to get me fired and trying to undermine the work of this church. I don't know if they're saved or not. I can only preach what Scripture says, which is what I've done this morning. It is up to you to decide what it is. It is up to you to decide how we move forward from here. Do we move forward in unity? Do we move forward trusting Christ, our faith in him and him alone? Or do we watch our church die? That's a decision you must make in your heart. Now, one believer, you know you don't have salvation. Let me explain what salvation is. God is holy and just. And he will judge sin. He will punish sin. And he will punish it eternally and completely. And because we are willfully sinful and fallen, we are destined for everlasting torment and judgment, we will be the recipients of that eternal punishment, of that eternal judgment. There is nothing you can do to get out of that. No membership, no lineage, no history. It doesn't matter who your father, your grandfather, your parents were. It doesn't matter what church you've joined, where you've been a part. It only matters if there is a true, growing, discipling relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, who took our place on the cross, took our sin on the cross. He died for everyone, and three days later, he rose to give proof of his victory. Trust him. Your salvation is only in him. God is holy. You're not. You can fix that with Jesus Christ. That's the way it works. And you do that this morning by repenting of your sin and placing your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation and believing in him and then live for him. Don't just take the seed and let it sit there because that's not salvation. The seed that grows and produces fruit, that is salvation. So I ask you this morning, how should you respond? On that spectrum, where are you? What work does God need to do in your heart this morning? I'll be over here in the corner on my left to pray. Jordan will be over here to my right in the corner to pray with you. The altar will be open. Donald, come on up and lead us in music. And we're going to have an invitation time. I know we've gone a little long this morning. But we're going to have a time of response. So as we sing, you decide what we're going to do. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that even your messages of judgment, your messages of rebellion, and your messages of sin's result are also an invitation. God, you continue to invite us to hear you when you speak. You continue to invite this church to join you where you're working and to see a reversal of what has been 12 plus years of disobedience. God, I pray that we will begin to respond in obedience. Lord, only you know the heart of every person here. You know what each heart needs, 
And God, none of the needs are too great for you to meet. Salvation is not too great. Repentance is not too great. God, I pray for your hand on every heart, your Holy Spirit to draw each one, and that no one leaves here this morning unchanged. But God, we were to respond to your word that we have heard this morning, that we have read, where you have spoken, and that is an encounter with you. And that encounter with you is supposed to change us. And I pray that it will this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we sing, you decide what your need is, and you do business with God as he leads you.